The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I got to do it, man. I got to do it. Happy Brandon Day. Happy Brandon Day. Good Brandon Day to you, sir, as I tip my cap. How are you? I'm doing swell. How about yourself? It's good to uh, be on the actual microphone instead of the telephone this time around. Yes, my apologies. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is your fault. I was going to blame myself, but you're the one that bailed on me for our normal time slot. Yeah. So, yeah, it's your fault. But I feel like I really did the yeoman's work this week because you're going out of town on uh, Wednesday afternoon. So... Uh, where are you going, by the way? You going back to Italy? Did couldn't get no, enough? No, no, I wish, I wish, <laughs> I wish I could take that uh, round trip ticket to uh, Florence and just enjoy there. Actually, one way ticket. Yeah, Who cares round trip ticket. No, I'm going to San Diego. It's our it's our yearly uh, trip down to San Diego. It's a great time. It's where I proposed last year. All right, uh, a fun time. You guys going to uh, Coronado Island? Sure are. Yeah, yeah. My, uh, I don't know why I'm. We're we're getting way off course here. We're veering, but you know what? It's the off season, so we can do whatever the hell we want. Uh, my family did an annual trip to Coronado for like seven or eight years when I was a kid. I think we went from when I was about seven until I was about fifteen, and it was myself, my my mother's brother's family, so my uncle's family, and my grandparents. It's a it's a lovely time down there. Hotel is uh is a little pricey. Um, I don't uh. I, I it's it's a shorter it'd be a shorter vacation if I went now but uh, thank you to my folks for for paying for that yeah, the the brunch at the Hotel Del Coronado is uh, the one thing that I really remember from that trip are you a beach guy I am not a beach guy yeah, I don't enjoy having to get the sand um, off of me and off of my body and my hair and get it all stuck I just don't enjoy that um, I will go from time to time more of a pool guy we actually stay right near the Dell. And uh, we've been going ever since I've been around because my parents actually used to go with my mom's parents. So it's a family tradition that's been carried out. It seems like a lot of people do that. It's a, it's a lovely time. We probably crossed paths somewhere in like the mid-90s in Coronado. Oh, we just did. To, yeah. probably did. <laughs> well, good to talk to you again, Brandon, after this long Coronado layoff. Uh, <laughs> this is Fantasy NBA Today, everybody. It's Wednesday edition. We got... Uh, Brandon Marcus at BD Marcus, host of the Hoop Ball Clippers podcast, which is available now, but these damn feeds need to get updated. Uh, so you can go find it. You can actually rate and review it now. All of the important things are available to be done on the podcast. Uh, it's just that some of the pertinent information, like the uh, contact information and the show description and stuff like that, seems to be stuck in, in 2017 when we originally set up a feed and I don't know why, because it pulled the right episode. Anyway, technical issues aside, uh, the show is up, man. And your first guest, Brandon, Brian Seaman, the voice of the Clippers. That's unbelievable. Yes, sir. It was a great time. Unfortunately, we couldn't talk about him actually becoming the new voice of the Clippers, replacing Ralph Lawler, um, although it is as close to done as could be done. Uh, it's not been announced by the team, and so obviously Brian, being a, a company man, he's a smart guy. He just got this new job. He uh, he knows better than to actually discuss before the team announces it. So we'll have him on um, in a month or two and talk about what it was like to get the job and the process of becoming 
the new voice of the Clippers and get all that stuff. But it was great to talk to him about the Kawhi and PG press conference, get his take on uh, what he thinks about the two guys and being at the press conference and all that kind of fun stuff. Outstanding. At Hoopball Clips is the Twitter feed, the lo- the Hoopball Los Angeles Clippers podcast. That's the name of the show. It's really easy, uh, very easy to find. It's got all the uh, pertinent words in it. Hoopball, Los Angeles, Clippers. If you need to find it, you put all those things together, you can locate the podcast. At BD Marcus is your Twitter handle. Take time to go listen to the show, and if you love it, drop a nice rating and review. It's time for us to start doing that again on all of our shows. We try to leave you alone, listeners, in terms of things we ask of you other than just sitting back, relaxing, and taking in the pod. Uh, But as we ramp up towards the season now on all of our shows, we're going to be asking you uh, for that small favor. Just head on over. Whatever device you use to listen to your show, whether it's uh, iOS, which I know that's that's the big bopper, or Stitcher, or Spotify, or iHeart, or Google Play, Podcast. Google Play doesn't exist anymore. Google Podcast, I think, is where everything is moved now. Whatever it might be, however you can find a way to rate or leave a nice review, we would really appreciate it. That is the coal for our engine. It moves all of our shows up the charts so people can find them easier when they punch in words like clippers if they're searching for a podcast so check that out uh brandon awesome debut i listened to the show as i was editing it so it didn't even count as a an actual listen i should go back and do it the real way all of you guys go do it the real way uh let us know what you're thinking is follow brandon on twitter follow hoopball clips so you can get all episodes of that show as they roll out but of course this is a fantasy show fantasy nba today is the name of this one please do by the way Rate and review this podcast as well. At Dan Vespers is where you can find me on Twitter. And this show is brought to you by Hawaiian Isles, Kona Coffee Company. Mm-mm-mm. Yesterday's show, I did, uh, or maybe Monday, I can't remember which show this week, I did like a full 90-second deep dive just reading their website. That was that was a new move for me, but they're just such pretty pictures there. Um, I don't know if it makes me want coffee or go to Hawaii or both, but you should do the same. HawaiianIsles.com is the website. At H-I Kona Coffee is their Twitter handle. And you can just go to Amazon.com, search for Hawaiian Isles, and it'll pop right up. You can taste the warmth of Aloha. It says it right on their website. I wouldn't make that up myself. I'm a city boy. But you can taste the warmth of Aloha. Uh, that stuff coming straight from Hawaii. Um, not a whole lot of news these days, Brandon, in the NBA. CJ McCollum signed a three-year, $100 million deal. But other than that, it's been officially i think now we can call it the off season yeah uh, i would agree i think that's uh really what this time of year is but give some credit there to portland i think that's kind of interesting normally i would say now that means that lillard and mccullum are going to be there together forever but we just have seen over the last couple of years it doesn't matter how many years you have left in your contract you're still very much tradable so uh who knows if those two guys will actually make it the next however many years but a solid investment. Those two guys form a great backcourt and uh, two very solid fantasy contributors as well. Yeah, pretty safe ones. I think we're we're finally getting an idea of what C.J. McCollum is, and it's kind of somewhere in between his worst and his best. Uh, without getting deep into the ranking stuff on this show, because we'll, we'll start doing a little bit more of that starting next week as we, as we break down different teams. C.J. McCollum, probably not the top, 30, 35 guy we saw a couple years ago, probably not as low as he was at times, you know, like a top 75, top 80. He feels like a pretty safe guy somewhere in the middle of that pack, right? Like 50 to 60 range? 
Yeah, I'm trying to see. I'm looking up right now where he ended up last year. He was okay. Um, he was okay. Sixties. Yeah. Yeah, sixty-six according to uh, to Yahoo. But I mean, yeah, he's he's a guy that could easily be. He was sixtieth overall in nine category leagues. He could be a guy that's top fifty type dude. So that's not somebody that you're going to draft and think, oh man, I'm going to get a top ten guy out of this because we kind of know what we're going to get from him. But he's also someone that you're very happy drafting in the fourth or fifth round and knowing that he's going to be on the floor most of the time as opposed to trying to draft somebody that is going to be injured um, that will waste a spot on your bench yeah his stat set is not super exciting his percentages are fine scoring is good threes are good assists are okay I mean everything is just very safe with McCollum and you yeah Brandon you know how much I love my my safe draft day selections. You do too. I need to get somebody that's a little bit more of a riverboat gambler on this podcast these days because between you, me, and Neil, it's just like the the ultra-conservative drafting house. Oh, yeah, we're going to all take the safe guys and have no one injured on our team. Uh, by the time you're at round four, round five, you could take a little bit of a risk, but there's just something so nice about sort of like falling back into the soft comfort of, of another safe play there, and I know you agree with me. Yeah, especially because those safe players tend to drop for some reason. It's like these guys that everyone's like, ah, he's fine. I'll get somebody else that's more exciting, getting more hype. And then he ends up dropping a round or two. And you're like, all right, I guess I'll take him. I mean, if nobody's going to select him, I might as well. He's there for the taking. Your advice, and I completely agree with it, is uh, avoid sexy fun picks. It's true. No, I love sexy fun pick. But I, I just... At the same time, don't be dumb. I mean, if you have somebody that you know their production and somebody that may be able to surpass, but maybe by not that much, but could also fall flat on their face, you're better off not getting the guy that's going to fall flat on his face. I guess the question, the follow-up to that, and, and maybe this is, I don't know if this is a selling point or not on going safe or sexy, is go back to some of your leagues in the past if you can still pull up that data i think yahoo may have actually shut down their stuff from last year now but if you have a way of finding your draft results from last year go look at the fifth round uh, of a 12 team league so you know now we're talking uh, 49 through 60 and see how many of those guys overperformed see how many of those guys underperformed and that might be a talking point to say you know what maybe i should just take the guy that i know is going to be within one round of this spot because the odds are, if I get crazy, I'm going to likely end up with a guy who's two or three rounds below that number. But, I, I mean, yes, like you, I, once you get into after the top three rounds, and it's hard to put a, a, a firm number on it to say it has to be the first three rounds, but, you know, once you get past pick 40, then it, it does open up a little bit. For me, it really opens up at 70 or 75. Yeah, that's when you start to figure out who actually knows what they're doing. Uh, <laughs> the interesting thing is that I actually, both my main leagues are auction style. So it's different because in this one, in auction style, you're waiting to see who people kind of forget about and who people don't value. I mean, guys like an Joe Ingles, for example, or Robert Covington, players that are sitting in that 70-75 range that are going to slip by the wayside and you're sitting there ready to, ready to pounce later on as the draft goes. So you, you obviously have to be careful with how much money you're spending at the start of the draft because you know that towards the middle there's going to be guys that you can get, 
guy like Eric Bledsoe, for example, I got for 14. Jamal Murray, I got for pretty much the same price. Two guys that really helped me out throughout the season that didn't cost as much as somebody that might be like a guy like Chris Paul, for example, that goes for something in the 30s. I'm trying to think of the right man. I'd really we. I'm not that great at auction drafts, so that's where I I uh, I hesitate. Is I I got to figure out a way to get more of that onto this podcast. <laughs> that was that was what was going through my head in that moment. Uh, so there's going to be a point I think where I just like disappear for a week, and uh, you and Brew can get in here and just do auction stuff because this is uh, those drafts take a lot longer, do they not? Yeah, probably about 30 minutes longer. I mean, you go from being a hour 20 to maybe two hours. Oh, that's not as big as I expected. I mean, I know of some that oh, go for terrible. three, four, five hours, and those are, that's Well, that's different. If you do it live, then it takes a while. Um, but if you do it online, and the way that I do most of mine on, hmm. uh, I do one on ESPN, one on Yahoo. And the way they do it is, I mean, if you get somebody that bids, then they set back the clock to a certain amount. But if they wait a while, then they just start counting down. It's, they do a good job with it. Hmm. All right, fair enough. Well, we'll get into more of that uh, at another time on the podcast because I don't have the right questions to ask. It's just not my area of expertise. But I think people would really enjoy it. So, uh, Brandon, you will be back to host some uh, auction draft discussions at some point. I've just volunteered you for it, so I hope that's okay. <laughs> sure, why not? Why the hell not? No, I'm going to sit here and say, you know what, Dan, no. And we yeah. are going to argue for the next 10 minutes about why I will not do what you tell me. <laughs> you know what? No one ever really gets to do that, right? If you ask somebody to do something in a, in more of a public environment, you kind of have to say yes. Yeah, and they're then, forced to do yeah, it. And then as soon as we hang up the call, you can be like, no, Dan, actually, I can't do that. But I can't put that on air anyway. So <laughs> we'll see if. I'll see if I can keep convincing Brandon to do some auction dress stuff on this podcast. I'm really making you out to look like a real jerk here. Uh, yeah, why not? That's fine. It's Brandon Day. We do what we want. The uh, The topics du jour, fantasy school, continues today on Fantasy NBA Today. And this is the last lesson of our six-lesson sort of mini-segment here at the end of July to, to carry us through these, these kind of dead days is roster construction. And, and this is another multifaceted topic on monday uh we we went with uh, i don't even know how to league settings is the the broad umbrella term for it and it was and like vetoes 15. too didn't you talk about that too talk about what vetoes and league oh veto yeah and all that kind of stuff and trades by the way hey what what are your thoughts on that because i was pretty i was pretty strong in my defensive commissioner only you know what's interesting is that normally i'm okay with the league voting and i was for a little while but now i'm not i mean normally um, I'm le- in a baseball league now where all trades just get processed. And if there, people have an issue, they'll bring it up to the commissioner. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if two people are agreeing to a trade, then clearly they think that's fine. And if you have people that are colluding in your league, you're in the wrong league. Yep. And I, I was just in an NFL league last year where my buddy and I put together a trade that helped both of us at the time. And it was vetoed by our league. And then the next week, one guy did really well, one guy did poorly. And so the league decided to make a whole deal out of it explaining why oh hey this guy sucks now look two weeks later it's like oh see he sucks like at the time the deal made sense you can't do that two weeks later when you have more evidence about why a trade may or may not work so uh, if two people agree to it i'm fine with it now uh someone posted in the in the hoop ball forums and i forget the name here on a whim so i apologize but they mentioned that they actually do institute a rule kind of like the one i mentioned on monday which is if someone vetoes a trade they have to explain why in the moment Put it on paper. Don't wait for later. 
because my my huge issue when I was talking about it two days ago was you can get a trade vetoed and the people don't even have to agree as to why. Half the league could feel that Team A won and half the league could feel that Team B won and all 10 teams can veto even though they don't agree on why they're vetoing the trade. I mean, that's an insane thing. If the league all disagrees on why they're vetoing it, that means it's a good trade. Yeah, and the most interesting thing is um, in keeper leagues because it's so tough to judge what the proper value is. I'll bring another sport in. For baseball right now, I'm about to be a seller. I have Cody Bellinger on my team. Is a guy like Javier Baez, who's a 15th rounder next year, obviously he's a top 20 player. Uh, What's the right value to give up in a keeper league? And that's up to your league to kind of figure out. But that also gets dicey and why it's tough to have the whole veto thing because one person may value someone better than more than another. Yeah, that's a really the the keeper league trade stuff gets into the weeds a little bit because you are you're thinking about one, two, you know, a lot of leagues have kind of a two or three year maximum how long you can hold a guy. Uh, yeah. But you're I mean, once and it's kind of the same thing with reality basketball are these teams hanging on to sort of fairly useful veterans and they're like, well, you know, I got an offer on the table of like a second round pick, which is basically garbage, but I got to take it right because it's taking this contract off my hands or it's uh, it's something. And if I don't pull the trigger on this trade, then I end up with nothing. And if something like that happened in a fantasy league, I think the owners would go absolutely ballistic. You know, if you ended up, like you said, you're a seller, right? Now, this is not going to be the case because Cody Bellinger is an MVP candidate this year. But let's say that it was someone not quite as prolific in baseball. Say you were trying to move, and I'm not going to get into the names on this because it's a basketball podcast, but say you were trying to move like a mid-level player. A Gallinari. Sure, yeah, and he was actually relatively good last year. But let's say you were trying to move a Gallinari, and the best you can get for him in a keeper league is like eh, a decent value, but not nearly as high as what Gallo was doing at the time. That's still probably worth it, because if you don't trade him, you end up with nothing, exactly. even though it seems like now the other team is winning out in the long run. So that, that's, a, that's a really complicated road to travel. Um, it still should be commissioner approval because it should be a discussion, and then whoever's running the league, presuming you actually trust this person, is going to have a final say on something like that. Uh, but anyway, you know, rehashing Monday stuff. Today's show, I want to talk roster construction, because it's kind of like the last hurrah here on Fantasy School. We're setting everybody off. The The boat is being pushed out to uh, out of harbor, and uh, I want to go through generally some strategies as you kind of work your way into the season. So the first, and I'm going to do this somewhat chronologically, but not entirely, is positional breakdown. I know a lot of people want to talk about coming out of your fantasy draft with X number of point guards, X number of centers, stuff like that. Is this something, Brandon, you think about as you're going through your draft? And if so, how much and how do you how do you tailor that as you're working through your fantasy draft? You know, what's interesting is that that's something that I pay attention to at the beginning of the season. So starting with the draft, but then as you go later on, that's when you really just don't care as much because you're just getting the best players available. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but at the draft, yeah, I mean, it, you want to fill out your lineup. It's as simple as that. You want, I'm assuming people are in leagues where you have your point guard, your shooting guard, your guard, then you have your small forward, power forward, forward, and then you probably have two center slots and maybe two utilities. And so you want at least two point guards 
you want probably at least two shooting guards. The guys that qualify as point guard and shooting guard even better because you kill two birds with one stone. And you probably want to get three centers is my guess because if you're in a daily like I am, most likely your two centers are not going to be playing every single day. So, I mean, they're not going to be simple as that. You want a third guy to put in there. So I want to try and have some depth at every position. But at the same time, I don't want to be so focused on the depth that I then let a guy like CJ McCollum slip because I already have two shooting guards and I don't need another one. You, you just got to get the best player available. But at the same time, if it's a A or B and they're very close, I go with the position that I need. It's a balancing act. There's no doubt about it. You, you, you have to be aware of this because if you go through the first four or five rounds without drafting a legitimate point guard, you're kind of screwed on assists. Yeah, big time. Yeah. There's almost no way to come back from that. The guys that you draft after that point, even if they were decent at assists, they're going to have these massive issues in their fantasy game that's going to drag you down, and you sort of don't want those guys anyway. Uh, similar thing could probably be said on the big man side. Um, you know, If you're hunting a big man later, you're probably going to have to eat up a bad free throw percentage. Although, Brandon, you and I have talked about this. Uh, it seems like the pendulum is swinging back towards needing point guards uh lately and I, it changes every year but right now there do seem to be some pretty good kind of top 75 top 80 big men floating around that won't kill you in categories the way that they have the last you know you know, go four or five years back something like that uh my answer i think to my own question here uh is similar to what you said too which is if you got two guys that are really close you might err on the side of looking for the 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 one that fills the positional need the only issue I've run into, and I mentioned it just a moment ago, is missing point guards early. That That's the one spot where I think if I'm in like the third round now and I ended up with a center and a wing, my first two picks, I might go one or two more guys down my list to make sure I get a point guard in the third round. I, I think that's the only position where after three rounds, you almost definitely need to have one of them or you're going to be cooking yourself in probably two categories going forward. Otherwise, it's best player available for me. Yeah, you'll be able to get assists later on, uh, but then you're going to get these crap guys. I mean, for example, a couple of years ago, I think it was a snake draft or something. Later on, I got a guy like Darren Collison, um, who you love on your old man squad. But at the same time, it's, it's no one great. So that type of talent, you're going to be getting somebody that's good, fine. He'll get you some assists. But he's not going to get you as many as someone in the top three rounds will. So sure, you're going to get point guards that are going to get you a certain category. But you got to be mindful of all the other categories they help out as well, whether it's threes or steals or free throw percentage or even field goal percentage for some point guards, which not many are great, obviously, from the field. So you got to be mindful that, sure, you may be getting one category, but point guards are not just assists. There are other categories as well that they help out with. That's right. And the you know looking at some of the top guards as opposed to the guys that we're talking about in the 50s and 60s uh like a Jeff Teague may have fallen but then you're dealing with injury issues or if you go farther down the list you might be looking at someone a couple years ago like fill-in point guard Ish Smith with his massive field goal and free throw percent stuff going on so these are the things that's the bullet you're biting if you don't pick up one of these early round guards and also, you're missing out on the really big assist numbers. It's easy to find a guy that might get you four and a half or five after those first couple of rounds, but the guys that are getting you seven, eight, nine 
are gone. Those guys are just gone, and you're you're not going to be any better basically the middle of the pack unless you have one of those guys or a totally mismatched team of like, you know, Nikola Jokic, a, a center that gets seven assists a game, or Draymond Green a couple years ago when he was at when he you know when he was better than like a top sixty guy, which he might be this coming year. Um, that's a way potentially to work around that little hiccup. But you know, if you're coming out of the first round with a traditional big man like a Carl Anthony Towns. And you're coming out of the second round with a wing, like I'm thinking back to last year, like a Jimmy Butler or something like that. Uh, you're sitting on two guys who are combining to average about seven and a half assists a game. And that's just, you need you need the one guy that's getting you seven or more to counterbalance that. So uh, what about, you mentioned during the season, you actually sort of think less about it. Yeah, because if you have guys that are underachieving, and say a guy, I'm keep throwing Darren Collison's name, even though he's a solid top 100 guy. But someone, for example, that's maybe outside the top 100 or sitting around 100 and is getting you, sure, four assists per game. But then you see a guy like, for example, Bam Adebayo, who becomes a free agent and he starts to take over the center minutes. I mean, I, I don't care about the guard. I'd rather get the better player at this point and figure out the guard situation later, because guess what? I guarantee you in the next day or two or week or two max that you're going to end up getting a guard for some center that's not achieving or some wing that's not achieving. So you, you'll end up having it balance out. But at the time when I'm making pickups, I'm getting the best player right now that's available for the player that is performing the most poorly. I think that's not grammatically correct <laughs> or the worst on my roster. That's fine. We're not on the written side at Hoopball. We say what we want. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. I'm getting the guy who's performing the best for someone that's and dropping the worst player. Yep. Uh, completely agree with you on that one. Once you get into the main part of the regular season, the only thing you got to be aware of is that if you're in a league, in a roto league with a games cap and it's and it's kind of sort of siphoned out by individual positions, you do have to make sure that you're trying to use up the games at an equal pace. And I don't know if I'm being completely clear with that explanation. Uh, if you're if your active roster is point guard, shooting guard, guard, uh, small forward, power forward, forward, you know, two centers, two utility slots, or whatever it happens to be, you got to make sure you've got one or two guys that could potentially slot in at each spot so that you don't fall behind in games played, not just overall, but in each slot on your roster. It's, by the way, why I switched almost all of my leagues from that style to just start three guards, start three forwards, start two centers and start two other whatevers. So you're not worried about having two, what you'd call, and I'm doing air quotes in my bedroom alone by myself here, point guard. Because, you know, who's to say who's even playing point guard in the modern NBA? We know LeBron is going to be point guard on offense, and he's going to be small forward or power forward on defense. And so I just, I kind of turned off a lot of those restrictions. And it to me, it makes the leagues a lot more fun because you're not stressing about some you know, what Dingleberry on Yahoo is going to have the right positional eligibility for your team. So yeah, after draft day, it's less about, because yeah, you want to come out of the first three rounds of the point guard. Now, maybe I should have been more specific. You really want to come out of the first three rounds with someone on your team averaging seven assists per game, uh, because after that, it does get a lot more complicated. But once you get into the season, like you said, Brandon, you're grabbing the guys that are putting up big numbers. They're, those are going to be the guys that power your team, regardless of format. And we're going to get into ROI a little bit later this show. So I think we generally agree on that stance. And I think it's kind of a hoop ball stance overall where you're not spending too much time on 
positional analysis. You just you got to make sure you're you're attacking different categories a little bit early on, uh, and then late on drafts you're you're doing a lot of uh, upside hunting. So, in terms of and, and my my segue here could go in a number of directions because we mentioned ROI on on guys that could either get picked up or dropped. Uh, mentioned upside as a, a move on draft day. We got a lot of different directions we can go. I, I think the direction I want to go first is those last few slots on your roster. You can use them for a number of things. You can hold injured guys. You can chase upside. You can use them as streaming slots. What's your move there, Brandon? Do you, or is it a little bit of all three? Definitely not the streaming side. Uh, I'm not going um, and finishing a draft thinking I'm going to have to stream. That uh, That's one thing where I'm trying to get talent that's going to help my roster. Normally, I try and get guys that I think will have the highest upside um, that I'm okay cutting pretty early on. So, for example, a guy like Jonathan Isaac last year who wasn't very good early, uh, I'm okay cutting him because I don't have as much patience as you do where holding on to a guy for a month or two and hoping it pans out because if he's hurting my roster, and this is obviously specifically, we've talked about this in a head to head, you're really getting screwed because if you're in a daily head to head, you need everyone on your roster contributing. You can't have someone you're putting in that's getting you four points, two rebounds and one assist per game like that. That's just not going to help you. So I'm trying to get guys that are going to produce. Usually I end up with a guy who's a point guard that is, a guy later on that uh, you mentioned Ish Smith, someone where I know they're going to be the starting point guard, but they haven't been drafted, hoping that maybe they take that next step. So that's where I end up with normally a big guy who I think could take the next step and a guard who can take the next step. How long into the season do you wait before that slot becomes something else? Mm, three weeks. Yeah, I think I'm at two. So we're close on that one also. I'm, gotcha. I'm a, I'm a, I have a very itchy trigger finger in fantasy basketball, and I fight that urge every day and every week to... Well, it's tough early because you, you want to pounce on that guy. I mean, if you end yep. up sleeping on a guy like Pascal Siakam and you're afraid to add him because you don't want to drop your guy that you took in the second to last round or someone you took maybe in the fourth to last round, and you think, oh, man, I took him in round 13. I don't want to drop him. Well... You may be able to add a guy like Siakam who could be a top 40 guy. So you got to be careful because you don't want to hold on to somebody so long that it hurts you and won't let you add somebody that is going to produce. And it's always tough early on because guys are putting up numbers and you can't tell who's actually going to keep it up. But you're taking that risk and you're hoping that the person you add is going to be the correct guy. Yeah, so right. Those first couple weeks of the season is such a uh, a weird uh, it's like a it's like a cesspool of data because you don't you have no idea if any of it is good or if it's all just junk and so you're kind of like you're sitting there you've got your guys you want to give them enough time to 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 give you an, an accurate sample uh, but also at the beginning of the year is when guys emerge the fastest uh, outside of the trade deadline that's that is the most maybe even more than the trade deadline, come to think of it, those first couple weeks are when guys that just got overlooked in drafts come out or guys in training camp that maybe weren't the starter, things flip-flop or someone off the bench plays their way into a ton of minutes. All these little things that happen the first couple weeks of the year, that's where guys that have full season value emerge. So you have to be willing to drop the ax on those guys. It sounds to me, Brandon, in talking to you at least, at least at the beginning of the season, 
you err more towards using those last few roster spots to chase upside. Am I hearing that right? Yeah. Yeah, for the most part. And it's funny because I'm going through right now just to see. Um, and remember, this is different when an auction league because I'm getting guys late who slipped. And I have confidence in a guy like maybe Will Barton or someone like Dario Saric or Lou Williams, people that are dropping later. So I know they're producing. So if they're producing, I'm holding on to them. But if it's somebody that you took a late stab at because you thought they were going to be the starting point guard and then it comes out they're only playing 15 minutes, then, yeah, I'm dropping them. It's really that simple. I'm not waiting to see if they're going to get 30 minutes later on or maybe I have somebody because I know they'll be a top 20 player if the person in front of them gets hurt. You can't bank on injury. So you go after the guy that's the most talented. But for me, normally I don't end up with players that – stink as frankly as that i mean and that'll happen obviously at head-to-head leagues because you're going to have people that um part of me in snake draft because you'll have people that'll slip it's just you're you get to round 15 you're at the number 130 guy but in auction leagues it's different so it, it really just depends what format you play but in snake leagues to answer your actual question yes my last couple of guys i'm getting for upside and if they don't show that upside immediately then i'm probably gonna drop them so you and I draft pretty similarly, even though you're a bit more of a head-to-head guy and I'm a bit more of a roto guy. Um, yeah. What coming out of the draft now? I'm I'm going to be thinking in the roto terms, and you're going to be thinking more in head-to-head terms here. Uh, during the regular season, those last few roster slots, do they stay mostly upside chasing for you in your head-to-head leagues? Do they ever transition more towards? Uh, injured guys that you're you're stashing? Do they does it ever transition towards regular season streaming? What's your head to head league play with those roster slots? All those actually. It, it really if yeah. it's somebody's producing, I'm adding somebody that's producing at that moment because again, like I was saying, you can't have guys on your bench that aren't producing unless you're doing well in your league. If you're in the top four, let's say, you can afford to go and add a guy like Demarcus Cousins who's supposed to come back in December 25th or something like that, or maybe a guy like Laurie Marketing who gets hurt and is out for two or three months and gets dropped. But if you're in the seventh or eighth place and you're fighting for that top six spot, you can't afford that dead roster spot. So you got to be mindful of what position you are um, in the standings and where you think your roster is. And if you're okay having that spot that is dedicated to just an injured person, and at what point are you ready to maybe cut bait if you need to? Because the tough thing is if you're going to stash somebody two months out, you're going to get to a point where maybe you're three weeks away and you're locked in because you've held on to them for five weeks. You're not going to wait. You're not going to drop them three weeks before they're about to come back. So you got to be careful where you are roster construction wise. But normally uh, I try to go with guys that are producing. It's either that or maybe a guy that I think is a top 40 player that is coming back and is going to be hurt uh, or is hurt at the moment because I'm not going to stash me. It's a top 100 guy. That's coming back from injury. Yeah, uh, thinking again, I'll join you here on the head-to-head side for a minute before I offer up some thoughts on the the roto side of things. Uh, I'm in agreement with you. Again, it's going to have to be a little bit of each. I think on the injury stash front, that happens to be a bit more of a mid-to-later season move for me. Um, and and this is I don't know that this is necessarily the kind of the one way to skin a cat necessarily. Uh, but I like to build up a lead in my league, if possible, you know, first, second place kind of thing, before I start using up my own roster slots on on someone else's injured player. Plus, you're almost always going to have someone on your team get hurt. Even if you draft guys that are generally healthy, 
there's dings, there's bruises, there's, uh, you know, fluky injuries that crop up. So you're probably going to end up having to use those spots for your own injured guys before you even get into the idea of picking up somebody else's injured player. I mentioned it on a show a couple days ago. Uh, an example of a time where I did sort of venture outside my, my normal realm was this last season. I wasn't in first place. I was in second place, and I wasn't that far ahead of the pack, but someone had dropped Jonas Valanciunas. And to me, that was like, a you know what? This is a move where I'm going to drop my streaming guy in that last roster spot. I'm going to stash JV for a month, putting up zeros, because I think that when this guy comes back, he could be a dude that turns my team from a maybe champion to an actual champion. But those situations are pretty few and far between. Yeah, and you got to know your league mates. I mean, that that's the most important thing about all of this. Before we consider what we're doing with our last couple of spots, know your league. I mean, if you're going to drop a guy like Valanchunas, is he going to get added right away? Or do you know that your guys, the guys in your league will probably wait a couple of weeks? And if so, you can go and snag him later on, and you're not going to need to waste that spot for two weeks. It's important to know your league mates. Who is going to end up stashing someone? Is the person in front of you able to drop somebody that could stash that guy that could end up hurting you down the stretch? you got to be careful of the guys around you in the standings and also just know people in your league. So I think priority, if we were going to make a priority totem pole, priority one is upside for those last few roster slots. If someone out there, this is head-to-head still. i am throw that caveat in there because we haven't gotten to Roto yet. Head-to-head, priority one, Look for guys that are going to be strong later in the season and hopefully doing something, something small at present. Priority two, for me at least, and maybe this is where you and I diverge, priority two is actually getting some streaming action in there, even during the regular season, because I think if you can add up a few extra wins during the regular season, if you pull six, seven categories from streaming that you wouldn't have normally, that's the type of thing that can move you from fourth place to second place and get you a first round by in the playoffs. And then priority three is picking up somebody else's dropped injured player. Those, to me, are that's a situation that has to be just sort of perfectly timed. Your team has to be healthy. You need to have a lead on other teams. The situation has to warrant it, and, and all the puzzle pieces need to fit together. What about uh, how is your priority totem pole? Is it, is it similar? Do you flip-flop the last two? I think we agree that upside is probably number one. Yeah, upside's one. I think our list is the same, but I just have one much higher up and then further down or two and three. The one thing is that if your last guy is not really producing, I'm fine using that spot to stream. The one thing that I've actually come across and I've it's hurt me before is that with streaming, I'll add a guy. Um, let's say I want him to play Monday and Tuesday, and then I will drop him on Tuesday before he plays that Tuesday game for somebody on Wednesday and Thursday. You may end up dropping somebody that contributes and ends up being really good. So you got to be careful because you can end up falling into somebody on accident where you're like, oh, I might as well hold on to this person. They're contributing. They're doing really well for me. I'm going to hold on to them. And I thought I was going to use that spot to stream, but they're doing great. Or you can turn into one where you end up dropping them and you're adding a guy just to chase two assists at the end of the day on Sunday when really you would have been better off holding on to that person. So you got to look at the sure that week ahead but you also need to look at further two or three weeks ahead to see where your team would be if they have that individual on it you're also highlighting the two possible definitions of the term streaming you could be talking about maximizing games played for one individual week or streaming a guy that's oh i don't know an injury replacement 
say a starter is going to be out for two weeks. Yeah. You pick his backup up, throw him in there for those seven or eight games. That's actually considered streaming also. Even if it's not necessarily maximizing games, you're picking up a guy that you know is a short-term fix. So to me, that's actually an okay way to stream too. Yeah, I like the short-term fix. I think that's a good way to phrase it because I think I'm more leaning towards that than I am going for games in the first couple of weeks of the season. Uh, I don't think I'm paying as much attention to that um, unless I know for sure I can go and win a category without hurting myself and others. But normally I'm going after a guy like, let's say, Boban, for example, because Embiid is out for two weeks. I'll get a guy like him knowing that he's going to contribute to my team for a couple weeks. The uh, And you never know if a guy like that might turn into something more long-term, is what you said before, yeah? Yeah, exactly. And you don't know if you're adding a guy like Siakam, for example. He went undrafted in both my leagues. So you never know if you're adding somebody that's actually, oh, hell, producing. And it's great. Okay, I might as well hold on to them. And here's why all of this works, because you and I have talked about coming out of a draft with a healthy roster. Yes. That's why you can pull off some of this stuff. If you have an injured player, that hurts you because you're going to have to hold on to that injured player. And then how many roster spots do you actually have to mess around with because that one dead spot already is on your roster? Oh, it gives you so much flexibility to come out of the draft with, with a freaking healthy roster. On the Roto side, just to fill in some of the gaps on this thing, um, streaming is... is maximizing games is sort of not relevant. Um, Picking up an injury backup is because you're trying to maximize the value you get out of every game played. You can also get away with stashing injured players a little easier because you are dealing with a games cap. So a lot of this stuff that in in unlimited head-to-head formats that makes these strategic decisions much more difficult is kind of wiped away. I, I think this is an easier decision in Roto. You you have all of these fail safes where you can only fall behind so by so many games because everybody else just can't use that many additional games. And you have some late roster spots where you can stash injured guys or stash upside guys. I still think it's good to come out of the draft with a healthy team because it gives you that flexibility, but you can make moves quicker Uh, You can cut bait faster if you want. You can hold on longer if you want. There just isn't that same uh, in-the-moment impetus uh, outside of when you kind of come across one of these, like you mentioned, like a Siakam who either was drafted ultra late or not at all, uh, who who could end up being a top 50 guy for an entire season. That that obviously is, is the exception and not the rule. Moving along from how to use your last... Oh, you know what? I actually have a psychological question before we move along from this. Is there something that's easier necessarily about holding on to your own injured guys versus someone else's injured drop? I feel like human nature dictates that it's just like your guy is your guy, even if the dude that's on the waiver wire might be better. I feel like a lot of people hold on to their own injured guy just because that was the one they drafted. Yeah, and also you've held on to them for two or three weeks. So it's like, oh, well, I just wasted that roster spot. So you're trying to uh, qualify it by saying, okay, I'll hold on to him. And then he'll pan out for me, even if the, the other guy might be better, because screw that. He's wasted my roster spot for three weeks. I'm not going to go and throw him away and say it was all for naught. Yeah, I agree. Psychology, human nature is a weird beast. Yep. Uh, let's talk ROI a little bit and see how much we, we can milk out of this thing. And if there's time, there's one other topic I had on my list. But if we don't get there, it's really, I mean, it's something that I don't think either of us does all that heavily anyway. Um ROI, return on investment, trades, moves in general. This is, I think, something that gets lost in fantasy basketball a little bit. We're all, uh, you know, Twitter is going to become, and, and Brandon, you're on 
you're on this side of the wall now uh, after joining up with Hoopball last year. So you'll you'll get to experience it from the the beginning of the season. It's a shocker, man. It it blew me away a couple years ago when I sort of when I jumped over from the enthusiast to analyst side on fantasy sports to see how many questions come out that say, should I use this guy or should I use this guy when they're not even remotely close to the same fantasy stat sets? And they might be ranked somewhat similarly. It might be the guy that's going to be, you know, number 48 over the next month versus the guy that's going to be number 51 over the last month. Uh, it's not as simple as black and white in that spot. On paper, yeah, it sounds great to have the number 48 guy, but what if it's a guy that's contributing to stats you already have? What if the number 51 guy is someone that can buttress you in other statistical categories? Uh, I feel like people overlook the return on investment on their decisions, their trades, their pickups, their drops, and I kind of want to just beat this dead horse until it's doubly dead. Where do you stand on the concept of ROI in fantasy. Yeah, but I feel like that also is more towards two or three months in. If, if you're starting to evaluate what you do and don't have, I don't know if you know right away. If you're trying to look at, hey, should I use player A that I draft yeah. in the fourth round or should, I draft, or should I go a player B that I draft in the 10th? It's like you drafted him in the fourth round for a reason. Uh, we're this early on when the season just started. Trust that. And if it's not working, then a month later, let's maybe talk and let's see what your team looks like. But early on, you're going with the guys that you drafted early. You drafted them for a reason. It happens in all sports. Whatever fantasy you're playing, you're, you have to let it actually play itself out more than the first two weeks of the season because guys will get off to rough starts, but their whole stat set over the last several years, shows you one thing. And if it's showing you a different thing in the first couple weeks, give it a couple weeks. In the middle of the season, Brandon, have you ever dropped a guy for someone you knew was slightly worse, but actually shored up your head-to-head team in categories so that you could you felt like you could win five or six out of nine every week in the playoffs? Have you ever made a negative ROI move because for your team it was actually the better long-term play? Interesting. Uh, I can't think of individual moves, but I have done one where I'm like, all right, I need somebody that's going to get me rebounds or I need somebody's going to get me assists. And I have probably dropped somebody that produces more that, for example, a guy like Thad Young, someone yeah. that is <laughs> Look at you tugging at, at my heartstrings here. <laughs> exactly. Someone like 80 or 85, you know what you're going to get from them, but you need that assist. And sure, they may be at 100 or 105, but you need that category and you need that guard because Russell Westbrook just got hurt or, or some point guard got hurt. It really depends what your team looks like. You may need to drop somebody that's helping you out and is a solid player when you're getting somebody that, that is helping you solidify another and, like you said, making your team whole. I've done it many times on the trade market. I think that's maybe the easier way to, to picture ROI because, like you said, it's hard to remember it little individual moves where you're like, okay, I'm going to drop the guy that's, you know, number 115 for the guy that's number 118 because it's a better statistical matchup. That almost comes down to streaming in that particular instance. But trades, I've done it a million times where I'll, if I have a category where I'm already weak, I'll just throw that category into the, into the scrap heap, take a one or two point loss there and pick up a guy that can give me three, four, five roto points in other spots in head-to-head, it's almost kind of like the, the flip of that, where in Roto, you're, you're taking away from the middling, uh, or you're taking away from either the very, very, very good 
or the very, very bad and trying to shore up the middle. And in head-to-head, I think you're probably taking away from the middle to shore up the already good. Uh, did that actually make sense? It made sense in my head. I think so. You're, you're trying to solidify your categories to make sure you have five or six strong categories. Right, in head-to-head, yes. And in Roto, it's the flip-flop where you're trying to make sure you have all of them accounted for. Uh, I just... I'm going to talk about this a lot. So if people are listening now and you're already sick of me mentioning ROI, it's going to be a long year for you. <laughs> uh, although Brandon is correct. I should I should throw that caveat in there. This is probably not something you're doing the first couple weeks of the year or even at the end of a draft. That's when you're there's a lot more on the on the side of upside chasing. This is more like a December, January move. You kind of try to get out in front of something in head to head. You can start thinking about what categories you're just going to be really good at. Shore those up for your your playoff run. Roto, you're trying to figure out where you're obscenely weak or where you're incredibly strong. And you can kind of pull from that to move money into other spots effectively. So be willing. And the thing about all of this discussion is, and and I'm getting sidetracked by just the idea of kind of how the categories work in the two different formats. The thing about uh, this discussion, Brandon, is you can pull off these moves while technically, you know, blindfold in a vacuum, losing the trade. It can still work. That's the amazing part about this because your team, Brandon, or my team, Dan's team, are different than whoever you're trading with. You have needs, you have desires on your fantasy team that might not align necessarily with the guy that's the best player overall uh, outside of those first I don't know. For me, it's probably Christmas. That's my cutoff when I'm willing to start taking hits and stuff. It's really a lot easier to get trades done, by the way, if you're willing to be on the losing end of them. <laughs> well, obviously, for most yeah. people, if you're losing a trade and it's consensus you're losing it, then you might be in trouble. Yeah, and yet, and yet, it can often work. The magic of the very expensive two-for-one. Everybody thinks they can pull off a two-for-one with, like, two scraps for one really good guy. It's got to be a really good guy and a good guy for a really, really good guy. That's the only way you're getting it done. It's got to really feel like you are giving up too much, even though you're not. Yeah. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. But then, again, I don't think it's the stuff that you should be looking at of your draft. No, I really think you need to be careful and just get the best let's say 14 guys on your roster that are going to help you win now. Um, and maybe one guy that you think is going to be okay now, but could be a top 50 guy, Jonathan Isaac later on. Let me ask you a weird hypothetical question that I, for some reason doesn't come up very much. It probably because it's stupid. Um, before your draft, if someone said to you, and I don't care I mean, let's let's just assume that you and this other person both have a pick in the middle of the round because I don't want to get into the, you know, talking about the turn and stuff like that. If someone offered you their first round pick for your second and your fourth, would you do it before the draft even started? Because I would. Yeah, probably. So what's to stop us from proposing that exact trade as soon as the draft is over? Because you may have gotten better value with those picks than what you thought maybe you were going to get. It really depends how your roster shakes out. I mean, if you end up giving up your second round pick, but it turns out you actually need that because that's the point 
guard that you drafted, <laughs> then you're point. in trouble. So it, okay. it just depends on how your roster is constructed. Yeah, that's fair. Fair enough. I mean, I wish I had, you know, I wish I had more time to set up some free leagues where I could sort of mess around with stuff like this. I don't have enough time on my hands, but this is the kind of weird experiment that I'd love to run where it's just like, all right, draft ended. I'm going to immediately propose a trade without even looking at the names of the guys I got my second and my fourth round pick for somebody else's first rounder. See if they do it before a single game is played. That to me is really interesting. The psychology of it. Yeah, that'd be fun. That would be crazy. Let's get weird. Let's get weird. weird. (laughs) Yeah, but not when there's money on the line. True. <laughs> That's very important. Uh, Brandon, enjoy San Diego. Thanks. Yeah, I, I mean, we don't really need to talk punting, right? Screw punting. No, no, we're not talking that. If you're punting at the draft, you're in trouble. Yeah, don't punt at the draft. If you need to punt later, feel free, but you're isolating. You're cutting yourself off from too many assets on draft day by, by wiping them off your board before it even begins. In addition to whatever, guys, we all decide you just don't want to have on your team anyway. So, yeah, I mean, you really cut the pool down. That's a not a great strategy. Unless, the, all of these things are unless. Unless you have, like, an 11-category league. Because then you can get away with punting one to be good at eight or nine or something like that. But eight, nine category, it's just, you, you're giving up too much uh, right from the outset. Okay, now officially, uh, enjoy San Diego. Happy Brandon Day to you, good sir. Happy Brandon Day to you. And check out the Hoopball Clippers podcast with Brian Seaman. Yeah. Yes, the Hoop Ball Clippers podcast is here. It's here. You did it, man. Congratulations on getting that show rolling. It's really, it's it's an awesome first episode. We're really excited about, I'm like, I'm through, the, I'm over the moon with this and I'm not even hosting. Well, listen, if, if, if you're over the moon with it, maybe everyone else will be over the moon with it and they'll rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Love it. Well done. Good promo, sir. <laughs> I learned from the best. Yeah. Well, I would love to meet that person sometime. It's the Fantasy NBA Today. Dan Vespers, Brandon Marcus on Brandon Day. Tomorrow, Neil and Josh. I don't know what they're talking about. Something fun, I hope. Adrian and Coach, they're going to hit on some uh, hot topics. Getting a little hot topic, a little reality NBA chatter. Maybe some best duos in the NBA. I know that's something that folks are talking about these days. This is the end of Fantasy School. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, Let me know. Let us know on Twitter if you have any additional thoughts. We'd love to keep talking about all this stuff. This is all the big picture discussions that are worth having 365 days a year uh, because, hell, if we're doing it now, then obviously we could do it during the season. At BD Marcus, at Dan Baspers, at Hoopball Tweets, at HI Kona Coffee, at Hoopball Clips. Go listen to the podcast. Thanks for listening to this one. I'll talk to you soon. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.